0: A Flow Media Production. Beautiful. A True Crime Memoir. Written by Cameron Lundgren. Narrated by Jesse Angeles. A tale of fast romance that escalated quickly into a heated exchange. One man now is left accused of a murder that he didn't commit and robbed of the grieving of his lost love. Chapter 10, Confirmation, After the Nightmare, Early August, 2019 Adam was an old friend and a registered nurse. Adam, hey, we need to talk. We'd only communicated briefly over text since my release, so I was bewildered when my phone rang shortly after. There was an urgency in Adam's voice. Cameron, I need to see you. I've got something you're going to want to see. I immediately hung up and drove to see him. We arranged to discreetly meet up in the hospital parking lot. I shot him a quick text when I pulled into a spot. As I sat waiting, I received an incoming call, but Mom was on the caller ID. When I picked up, I was greeted with an earful of shrieking. She had found out I came back from Vegas early and was worried about me. Cameron, can you please just move in with me? I hate the thought of you living in that house all alone. Mom. If I leave, then the people threatening me win. I have to stand up for myself, otherwise they'll really think I'm guilty. Just then, I glanced towards the hospital entrance just in time to see Adam emerge from the glass doors of the hospital wing. He worked as a nurse in the orthopedic department and he jogged over to my car, sporting his scrubs. Mom, I I gotta go, we'll talk later. Adam swung open the passenger side door and jumped in. How you doing, man? Truthfully, I was a mess, confused, paranoid, scared, angry. And I poured it all out to him. He nodded soberly and waited for me to finish before holding his cell phone in the air. I have something to show you, but I, uh, well, let's just say I obtained these off the record. Okay, yeah, no problem. My lips are sealed. My hands shook in anticipation. Adam leaned over to give me a clear view of his phone when he opened up his camera roll and started flipping through some images of x-rays. My blood ran cold. Holy shit, dude. These are... These are Shayna's skull, aren't they? Oh yeah. Adam nodded as if showing me a map of the lost treasure of Atlantis. I have access to the database of records at the hospital and I couldn't help but be curious. I snapped some pictures off the computer screen with my phone. As he slowly slid through the images, I noticed the X-rays of her skull clearly indicated the entrance wound on the right side, passing out the left side. My whole body quivered when I saw that the blast from the gun had cracked her head down the middle of her forehead. Why has she done this? Holding my emotions in, I squinted at the photos in disbelief. So these X-rays show a gunshot wound in the direction clear as day, right to left, right? Unless I'm missing something here, there's nothing showing up from the back of her head. I know. Adam was still nodding like a bobblehead. That's what I don't understand, Cam. It doesn't make sense. My brain went spinning into a fugue state, my reality shattering as the pieces became clearer. How could the news report it back to front and to right to left? There was an unequivocal photo evidence disproving the widespread statement that she had been shot from behind. And then suddenly, the fog cleared and my adrenaline rattled in my chest. I know you could get in a lot of trouble, but would you send these to me? I'd like to send these to my attorney. You know, in case he needs them. Adam gave me a, are you fucking kidding me look. So I pressed him. I promise I won't use them unless I need to. He exhaled heavily and laid back in the seat, rubbing his hands over his eyes. Fine, man. Do what you need. You just didn't get them from me. Relief flooded through me, and I felt level-headed for the first time since I had been arrested. This was my ticket to freedom. This was the proof I needed to clear my name and win my friends and my boys back. There's one more thing, Cam. Adam hesitated. I saw a post from one of Shana's friends on Facebook today. She uploaded a video with some, what do you call them, psychic mediums? The chick was saying that the medium told her Shana wanted everyone to stop fighting with each other and start working together to convict you. I don't know, but my sister watched the video and she says she has some of this voodoo shit capability. She said the medium interpreted the message wrong. She thinks Shana was trying to tell everyone she wanted to stop the hatred toward you against the suggestion of the mass idiots he shrugged three separate otherworldly encounters was enough for me that week i was spooked but i shook the feeling off not knowing what to believe adam texted me the files and gave me a quick hug before exiting the car and jogging back through the glass doors i sent glenn the images and left for home my phone rang about 10 minutes later and this time it was glenn I need you to go and meet with the investigators we hired. They want to talk to you, and they have some information on the pictures you sent over. Damn, already? Glenn was on it, and I had a new spring in my step. Still in the car, I veered left and headed to the address Glenn gave me for the investigators' house. I walked up to the front door of an older home in a decent neighborhood, and the lady who greeted me introduced herself as Judy. Leading me inside, she motioned her hand towards a worn-out couch set in front of a wall-papered, wall-dotted with family photos. I was expecting an office full of private investigators, but Judy was clearly the one in charge. She took the chair across from the couch and leaned forward to brace her arms against her thighs. Cameron? I was decorated officer and spent four years with the police department. She held my gaze, still bracing herself. First, I need you to know that in my 40 years on the force, I had never seen a suicide call turn into an arrest that same night. It just doesn't happen that way. She relaxed her arm muscles a bit, shaking her head and sitting back in the chair. I was relieved to see that Judy seemed to be in much disbelief, as I had been the last month. Thank you for confirming that. I thought I was going crazy there for a while. My life has been ruined by all of this. Well, as it turns out, I have another bombshell for you. She sat upright now, crossing her arms over her chest. The radiologist screwed you, she declared, as if so matter-of-factly. But the confused look on my face kept her going. Cameron, I don't know what the radiologist was thinking, maybe he was drunk, in a hurry, or even persuaded to pin this on you, but his professional opinion was that the shot was back to front. But that doesn't make any sense. I sent the Glenn the images proving he was wrong. My mind immediately went back to the night in the police car when the officer questioned me for hours in the back of a cop car. Conflicting reports of a gunshot, he had said. You're right, the radiologist was wrong. The medical examiner reported it as a gunshot wound from right to left only. I put in a request to review the original autopsy report the second your attorney sent me those x-rays. Medical examiner's conclusion. Judy handed me the report. On June 25th, 2019, the radiologist had erroneously reported a back-to-front gunshot wound on June 29, 2019. The medical examiner reported the gunshot wound being right to left clearly. Listen, she continued, I don't know what to say here, but if it were me, I'd sue the police department for taking you into custody so quickly. And I'd sue that radiologist for doing such a sloppy job. I really couldn't believe it. I went to jail based on a false report that was later rectified by the medical examiner's office. And no one had bothered to tell me. No one had apologized. Least of all the radiologists who screwed me to begin with. Had the department checked their facts, I wouldn't have gone into the police car that night. I would have been rushed to the emergency room with Shana and held her hand until she passed. I would have been able to mourn her properly instead of hiding in my house with the curtains drawn like a town villain. I'd be able to seek solace in my children. I'd be free. My gut boiled with anger. When I got home, I called Glenn, who recommended that I hire a civil lawyer to sue the police department, per Judy's suggestion. I spent weeks calling attorneys. Always to be told that the police and the radiologists were, in their professional opinion, allowed to make mistakes based on their inferences of the situation at the time. I was furious. I could see something so clearly that someone with a degree could not. But there was nothing I could do. A mistake, I thought. Someone that spent over eight years in school made such a dumb mistake to ruin my life. I woke up the next morning feeling utterly helpless and contemplating staying in bed for the foreseeable future. Up until the night of my arrest, I consider myself a lucky guy to have dozens of close friends and two dozen more acquaintances to depend on to talk with, or just to go out and have a good time with. I chuckled to myself at the irony. I had been so desperate to find myself after the divorce, to revel in being young again, to party now. I had neither my ex-wife, my kids, Shana, or any friends to hang out with. It was a rude awakening to find that friends I had known my entire life suddenly disappeared into thin air after I sent a text or a phone call. One friend, Corey, even admitted to not wanting to be seen in public with me. Of the few friends I had left, the one whose loyalty I never questioned was Chevy. I had spent the last month either holed up in my house or trying to escape the city so often, I hadn't seen him since he let me crash at his house when mine was being held by the state for domestic violence concerns. Even though I had asked most of my friends not to engage on social media in my defense, Chevy wouldn't have it. Chevy, who may be the most single popular guy in Utah due to his pension of loyalty and what the ladies dubbed a charming smile, had thousands of Facebook friends. The moment one of them posted something negative about me, he'd get on the phone to personally deliver the message that any shit-talking wouldn't be tolerated. End of discussion. He never quite told me what he'd say, but sure enough, the post would be deleted by the time the call ended. I was in dire need of some companionship, so I reached out to him. Before I could even say hello, his voice interrupted the ringing in my ear. Hey, buddy! Been thinking about ya! Chevy was a bright-hearted guy who always knew what to say. His salt-and-pepper beard and muscular build was menacing to an outsider. But anyone who knew him considered him to be a teddy bear. The sincerity in his voice panged my heart, but I shoved the emotion down. I know, brother, I I was wondering if I may be able to come and stay at your place again for a week or two. I'm just... I sighed, trying to rein in the tears for once. I just need to be around friends. I'm slipping into a pretty dark place. Pack your stuff, bud. We're heading down to Maple Mountain Bar and Grill for paint night tonight. The bar was opened a few years earlier by an old friend of mine, when in my early 20s, doing phone sales. It was new, and I wasn't sure if that meant I wouldn't see anyone I knew or I'd run into everyone I knew. You should come along with me and Gabby, Chevy said. Sounds good, man. I'm on my way to your place in 30. One thing that always made me feel good was buying new clothes. So I went to the mall and picked up a variation of my usual. A tight-fitted black shirt, Levi's, boots, and a baseball hat that matched the shirt. All of my clothes had been ruined anyway. And I hadn't felt comfortable enough to shop in public. But I didn't really have a choice. I was stoked to get out of the house and go to the bar with my friends. Something I hadn't done since before Shana's death. As I walked into Buckle, a higher-end clothing store for your average metro male, I tried to lay low so nobody would notice me, keeping my eyes stuck on the floor in front of me to hide my face. I was startled when a beautiful blonde employee came up to me. What are you looking for? She asked flirtatiously, hoping for a sale. I quickly responded. I just need something for a night out with friends, and I'm in a hurry. Please get me your most popular size 34 pants and collared shirt. I was short with her and just wanted to get the new outfit and get the hell out of there. I didn't even bother trying on the outfit as I checked out and hit the road to Chevy's house. As I dressed to get ready for the party, I was feeling both apprehension and a bit of excitement. When I arrived, before my knuckles could even make it to the door, it swung open to reveal the toothy grin, Chevy who immediately wrapped me up in a bear hug. Give me a hug, buddy. I couldn't help but beam trying to catch a breath and my body warmed with a happy feeling, momentarily eclipsing the despair I had grown so used to. He led me to his kitchen where his girlfriend Gabby was sipping on a glass of wine. She smiled through the gulp and raised her glass towards me when she saw me. Dude, you know I love you brother, right? Chevy stared at me with a poignant look making sure I knew how serious he was. It was just what I needed to hear. I responded, Of course, Chevy. You're one of my last few friends, man. Besides, you love... I love my friends. He finished for me, quoting his most famous motto. His cheesy grin returned, and he slammed his fist on the counter. Let's go out and show you a good time. You've been cooped up, and I won't tolerate your solidarity. As we neared the bar, I started to have doubts this was a good idea. I had just recently been afraid to leave my house in fear of people stalking me, and a bar was definitely the place to draw further attention to myself. I just had to tell Chevy and Gabby that I'd make a phone call real quick, stall a little. But then we pulled into the parking lot and the car came to a halt. I sucked in a deep breath through clenched teeth and exited the car throwing a small smile at Chevy when he looked my way to reassure him I was all good. We immediately ran into my old friend Jason, who was the owner of the bar. I don't recall him ever not having a full red beard. He also was one of the smartest people I had ever met. We'd spent many a drunken night hamming it up before he had lured the group into some political debate. Not an easy thing to do as a liberal in a red state. He was a good dude, someone whose advice I respected. He opened his arms to welcome me in and gave me a hug, smiling again at having another friend who actually looked pleased to see me. As I went to pull away, he held me tight and whispered in my ear, You don't need to tell me you didn't do it, Cameron. I know you didn't. He released his tight embrace and slapped me on the back a few times before adding, You can beat this. I know you can. I thanked him for his confidence before leaving him to greet some patrons who had just walked in. Feeling a little looser, Chevy and Gabby and I pulled up the stools to the bar to order a drink before the painting began. I glanced around to survey the room when I saw an old childhood friend, Blake, sitting a few stoles down. We'd grown apart over the years, but the last time we smoked had been on good terms. Making eye contact, he hopped off his stool to approach the three of us never taking his eyes off me. You're a piece of shit, you know that? I had been hoping to stay on a roll with my happy encounters, but clearly Blake had other plans for me. Instantly, Chevy grew red and his muscles in his jaw clenched. But I knew Chevy. He wouldn't explode like that. Here, especially not when he was trying to make my reintroduction into society as seamless as possible. Instead, Chevy relaxed his jaw and gave a weak smile. Can we buy you a drink? He offered to Blake. He was clear that Blake had too much to drink. Why would you buy me a drink? He wobbled a bit and leaned an arm on the bar. Well, then we won't buy you a drink, Chevy barked before turning to me in an attempt to end the conversation and shield me from drunken Blake. Cam, what do you want? I'll buy my own drinks, Blake muttered, then drifted back to his barstool. I could tell that Chevy wanted to knock his face off his body, but we both knew it wasn't worth it. Gabby, who had been sitting on the stool on the far side of the commotion, gently patted Chevy's hand, then signaled to the bartender. Three whiskey cokes, please. We walked to the other side of the bar to set up our paint stations. We chose three chairs along the wall, each equipped with an easel, and prepped our supplies while the bartender came around to take an order for another round of drinks. The instructor, a middle-aged woman with short brown hair and wearing paint-smeared smock, stood in the front of the class and began painting strokes on her canvas. My attention was completely focused on her, my painting as I began to craft what I hoped would turn into a sunset. It was nice, actually. I had never been one for crafts, but focusing my brain on something other than Shayna felt calming. Sitting on the other side of Gabby. Chevy muttered loud enough for the both of us to hear. If that motherfucker comes back over here, I'm going to say something. I followed his gaze to some guy lurking behind the painting glass. His eyes fixated on me. Gabby paused, brush raised, and assessed who Chevy was shooting daggers at. Yep, he's up to something, she muttered. That sinking feeling in my gut took over the kind where you just want to evaporate into thin air. The man turned to walk away and I refocused my attention on my painting, trying to shake my discomfort. You're good, buddy, Chevy reassured me. I'll handle this if it becomes a problem. He narrowed his eyes at the guy one last time before going back to painting. Not more than a minute or two went by when Gabby interrupted the silence. He's taking his phone out and I think he's taking pictures, sure enough. The guy had returned, only this time he had his cell phone unabashedly held out in front of him, feeling incredibly uncomfortable. I stood up to leave before Chevy beat me to it, placing his hand on my shoulder to push me down in my chair. Here, he handed me his drink. I got this, bud. Seeing angry Chevy bee lining towards him, the guy quickly put his phone away and made for the front door, followed closely by Chevy, who had disappeared behind the view of the easels. I chugged the rest of his drink and went back to painting. Only this time, I could barely focus on what the instructor was saying. I looked up to see Chevy at the bar, whispering to Jason, clearly scheming to get that guy kicked out. A few minutes later, he returned to his seat as if nothing had happened. He simply nodded in my direction and confirmed, it's taken care of. Miraculously, we all finished the session, even though my sunset looked more like a pastel blob. We gathered at the bar and spent an hour talking to Jason, all the while checking over my shoulder to make sure that no one else decided to take pictures of me. As much as I had been looking forward to this, and as much as I loved being back with my friends, a voice in the back of my head told me I still wasn't safe. Maybe I never would be. Thank you again for joining us here on the podcast. Just a reminder, this podcast comes out every Monday and Wednesday, so go ahead and mark that on your calendar. Also, you can get this book on Amazon, so go ahead and click on the link below, and you could either read along with us, or you can skip ahead, find out what happens to Cam. Again, thanks so much for being here today. This is a Flow Media production.